welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Negroni, film editor for the young folks from Pittsburgh, Pen- Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He is, of course, my co-creator of Cinemaholics, freelance film critic Will Ashton. Hey, yeah, I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to be clear. Uh, that wasn't from your introduction, but I'm happy to be back all the same. I just don't want people to think that you live in the pits. And uh, a <laughs> uh, bit, bit of an update, uh, you are no longer at Cinema Blend. And yep, that's correct. There you go. That's yeah. it. All yeah. Right, moving on. Uh, yeah, I didn't know we were going to make an announcement about it, but yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to spring that on you, but I did think about it when I was introducing it. It's like, oh, wait. Yeah. So in case anyone's curious. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm a gun for hire at the moment, so if uh, you have a site or a publication or somewhere that pays and you're like, hey, let's get some, uh, some Will Ashton on there to spice things up, I'm uh, all years. You, you can reach out to me however you can reach me. So how about that? And you'll be glad you did. Now, as for our podcast, you can find more episodes of it, including our full archive, all episodes we've ever done on cinemaholics.com. You'll also find our written reviews, video reviews, all kinds of fun stuff like that on our website. Check it out. Don't forget to email us. We're always happy to read your emails and interact with you. As always, our email is cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget, too, we also have some new merch up on the site. So if you don't want to head over to our Patreon and check out all those perks at patreon.com slash cinemaholics, you can go to our website and you can still get Cinemaholics merch in time for the holidays. So don't wait. Check that out now. We have a new hoodie coming out now that's going to match the design of the t-shirt because I got multiple requests because apparently the t-shirt design is pretty popular i'm wearing it right now and will you, you you're seeing it on me or you saw it on me a second ago what do you think oh man i am so jazzed about this t-shirt i think it's probably the best thing we've got as far as the uh, new merch uh, i think it's uh, it's a mm. nice fit better uh, than the new shot glass um well the new shot glass is the same as the original just has the new logo right that's what true this yeah. is like a whole like this is totally different like this is a t-shirt is a statement exclusive yeah. as far as the look and design of it uh, and I think it, it looks pretty sharp, but I think if anyone gets it, they're a fan of the show, they're going to rock that their, their multiple multiplex are going to be looking, looking sharp and they're going to turn some heads and they're going to be, uh, the talk of the town. Maybe well, at least that's what I hope. Couldn't say it better myself. Uh, last thing, if you'd like to support us, but Hey, you know, things are strapped and uh, you want to do something financially easy. You could always leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, but only if you want to tell us what you think and like about the show. It's got to be honest. No lying. If you hate us, I mean, I don't know why you would give us a five-star rating if you hated us, but yeah. yeah. I mean, iTunes has that big uh, no lying rule that they uh, incorporated. And you, you know, if you even try a lie, they just nix the review and they're like, try hmm. again. Yeah. yeah. Fortunately, people never lie on the internet, so we don't have to worry about that there. This week on the show, we're going to be talking about a bunch of really awards level films. I guess one of them isn't technically uh, that's Benedetta. I mean, is it an awards level film? I think so. But that's that's a bias. It's not really in the yeah. running for anything compared to the other. Two right. Films. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tis a season. Yeah, I get, it, it's yeah. uh, it's in the uh, it's on some people's best of the year list. So, I mean, it, it is considered among the best of the, of the year's uh, offerings, depending on who you're talking to. 
Yeah, I think critics like it. And we're talking about two other critical favorites. Maybe that's a better way to contextualize these three films because we don't have a major release coming out this uh, this past weekend. The cinema is getting ready for West Side Story. That's, of course, going to be a pretty big deal, I think. There, you know, Encanto is still in theaters. Ghostbusters Afterlife is still in theaters. So we got a little bit of a break this week. The Power of the Dog just hit Netflix. It's been in limited release for a while, though. And we're finally be able to talk about The Power of the Dog. Then we'll talk about Benedetta and Come On, Come On the new Mike Knowles film that is also in limited release now. So this is going to be a fun episode. We're going to be getting into the nitty gritty here. So definitely stay tuned for those reviews. I know you're probably listening and you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I, these, I've never heard of these films, but we, we guarantee you that you will, you will get something out of the review. I hope, but I, I I guess I can't guarantee that. Anyway, (laughs) let's start with the power of the dog. Twenty-five years since our first run together. Nineteen hundred and nothing. It's a long time. What you doing? Getting mixed up with her. You are marvelous, Rose. We were married someday. I did, sir. Well, Brother Phil? Open up the gate, let him out. You sure he's not ready? Go on, let him out. So The Power of the Dog is probably Netflix's best shot at getting uh, Best Picture (laughs) Um, since probably 2019 with The Irishman, I guess, or Marriage Story, one of those two. Definitely a big swing for Netflix. They want this thing to to win all kinds of awards for Benedict Cumberbatch, who stars in the film. And I think he's also getting some love in other critical circuits, Uh, maybe Kirsten Dunst, although I don't think she got anything for any of the awards that, that are coming out so far for like HCA. I don't think I saw her name on supporting or anything. But we also have Jesse Plemons in this film, Cody Smith. McPhee. It is a Western. And one of the reasons The Power of the Dog has been turning heads, first of all, it is an adaptation of the 1967 novel, also called The Power of the Dog, which I actually have over here on my desk. And uh, that one's by Thomas Savage. And this is also the latest film from Jane Campion, Mm -hmm. who will, I mean... It's been a while. 12 years, <laughs> Let's I put think. put it that way. Right? 12 years, I think. Uh, two, was it 2009? Yeah. Was her last film, Bright Star? Her last feature film, at least. I think she's yes. she's done some short films since she had Top of the Lake. Top uh, of the Lake. And yeah, uh, yeah the 2013 uh, miniseries. And she also did a, uh, co-directed a miniseries called Top of the Lake China Girl mm-hmm. in uh, 20. I think 2017 or 2018. So yeah, that's what she's been up to. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't know if Top of the Lake was an anthology series and like she just did two seasons of it. Um, but yeah, I, I know she was, that was her, that's been the big thing for her for the past um, uh, decade or so. But yeah, now she's finally back on the silver screen or at least uh, yeah. on the screen. Cause a lot of people are primarily going to see this film uh, on Netflix, but yeah, she's back again. That's what counts. She has a wonderful filmography. I haven't seen all of her films, but, you know, I am a fan of the ones that I have seen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her first film was Sweetie, which I'd say probably draws a lot of comparisons Uh, to this film. I thought uh, thought it was The Two Friends was her first film. 
two friends was a tv movie oh, okay yeah, oh, yeah i mean and, yeah <laughs> sweeties are first feature film feature yeah. yeah 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 that's, Which, that's more what i'm getting at yeah and that's funny though because it's like sweetie and bright star are actually the only two i've seen uh besides the power of the dog um i've actually have not seen the piano or in the cut with or um holy smoke i think those are like the other three big ones that she did um that yeah, unfortunately yeah. i haven't seen them I, i'm not like the biggest like I, I don't know which of her movies are probably best known in pop culture i'd say probably yep the piano and in the cut are my big suspicions now piano was a big awards contender and i think one of the reasons people remember the piano or at least a lot of cinephiles and film critics remember it is because it was a big first in a lot of ways uh for jane campion and women in filmmaking right it was the first film to or she was the first female filmmaker to receive the palm door Mm -hmm. Uh, she was the second woman to be nominated for best director yes and both those acclaims were for the piano Mm -hmm. and uh, i think she also i think uh, best screenplay I want to say original screenplay went to the piano as well. So awards heavy film, great film yeah. too. I mean, okay, I don't know so if you like the piano, but I do. Well, well, that's what I was trying to say is actually piano is a big blind spot for me. The only two Jane Campion movies I've seen in full are Sweetie and Bright Star besides Power Stuff. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I highly recommend the piano. Uh, always a good film to catch up on. Great Holly Hunter film. Probably one of her best. Although I have a soft spot for, of course, Incredibles and Broadcast News. But sure. yeah. And Raising Arizona. Yeah, of course. Now, that said, this new film, Power of the Dog, it's kind of it's funny because as I was watching it, I guess you wouldn't have picked up on this, but there were moments of it that definitely like there's a piano in this movie, Uh, but very different film. This one, of course, that wasn't uh, that wasn't lost on me, to be clear. (laughs) Um, Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, because I'm sure you're you're well aware that there's a piano in the piano. Uh, this movie takes place in Montana around 1925. So right before the Great Depression, the stock market crash in 1929 or whatever year it was, the film follows two ranch owners who are brothers. Uh, one of them is named Phil, played by Benedict Cumberbatch. The other guy is named George. He's played by Jesse Plemons. And it's kind of a slow start, but we kind of slowly see a romance or a courting develop between George's character and an inn owner named Rose Gordon, who is played by Kirsten Dunst. And right away, we see that Phil is a very prickly person compared to his brother. His brother's kind of mild-mannered. You know, he, he doesn't have a lot. He's very reserved, very stoic. His brother, Phil, though, uh, Cumberbatch's character, is a bit aggressive. Bit of a, You know, he's got toxic masculinity, like, written across, you know, his britches. Uh, this guy is just kind of like a walking mess in terms of, like, he's very dusty and dirty. He makes fun of people. When we first are introduced to, and when he's introduced to Rose and her son Peter, who is played by Cody Smith McPhee, he relentlessly mocks Peter. Uh, Nevertheless, uh, they end up moving in with the Burbanks, the brothers, uh, later on in the film after George and Rose have been together for a while. uh, Peter is coming back. I think he was at... uh, an Ivy League school, I want to say, uh, learning to be a surgeon. He comes back for the summer, and that's where the majority of this film takes place. So, Will, this is a movie that a lot of people have been saying is, you know, it's a slow burn Western for sure. Uh, it's definitely, you know, not the old West. It's the new West in a lot of ways. And people mm-hmm. are saying this is a, a fantastic film, great direction, yeah. great writing, the score by Johnny Greenwood, lot, getting lots of praise. Yeah, uh, do you agree with all the accolades? Yeah, I was going to say the second for Johnny Greenwood this year uh, after, yeah. well, Second or third, depending on if you've seen Licorice Pizza yet. Um, right, which he didn't do a lot for Licorice Pizza, but yeah. Okay, but yeah, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I certainly had high expectations to answer your question. Um, I didn't read the book. I Did you read it or you just have a copy of it uh, on hand? I just have it and I'm, I'm actually really excited to dig into it. I've dug into the screenplay mm-hmm. um, because I have that as well. And I started reading the book, but I'm not that far into it. Yeah, I was going to say because I've... I mean, even without reading the book, it's clear that the movie has a novelistic quality outside of the um, like the chapter breaks and um, a lot of just the way the movie presents information. It, it almost kind of feels uh, a bridge, like you're seeing a longer novelistic story that that we're kind of getting like the nitty gritty details of. Yeah, you can uh, tell which, things are left out, right? Which I find to be pretty fascinating in terms of uh, approaching it as an adaptation. And so I wasn't sure if you had read the books, as I could. Uh, kind of pick your brain a little bit as far as like what is and is in in the book. But uh, looking at the movie as a film, um, I certainly quite enjoyed it. It's a type of film, though, that um, I was trying to remember the term you used on your YouTube channel. Like you coined a term. I think it was like a wait for it Western or something Mm -hmm. along those lines. Um, And uh, I feel like it's a type of film that when I saw it and when I initially sat on it, I was like, yeah, it's like a good film, like a good, solid, sturdy Western I was trying to kind of figure out, though, like why it was getting as voluminous a response as it was. Not that it wasn't warranted, but I was just kind of figuring out like, okay, like I think it's a good film. I think it's solid. I think it's just it's hard to argue otherwise. But like, how is this like getting the response that it's getting? But the more I've reflected on the film and the more I've really sat with it and and thought about what it's doing and how it approaches the genre and what it's saying therein, especially as I think more about the second half of the film, it's a type of film that I've grown to really appreciate more and more. And I'm excited to revisit the film. I was hoping to see it twice, but just time didn't really allow for this episode. But um, it's a type of film that as I keep thinking about the film, I only grow to like it more because of how it, it's tackling these characters, how it is using those characters to discuss the theme of masculinity, like you said, but also just how it approaches the genre and how people reflect on genre, not only uh, as far as like movie stars and how we see these characters, but also like how the characters see themselves, how they feel their place fits into the world and like how they have to fit into certain archetypes, how they have to feel like masculinity is this sort of, uh, facade or like this identity that they have to describe or fit into whether they feel it's appropriate or not. And it's this type of film that I think only gets richer as you really reflect back on it more and more. Yeah, I really agree with you. I think that it's definitely a lot to chew on. And when I was talking about it in my review, yeah, I was, I, I what I found so impressive about the way that this film kind of presents its case. And it, what's impressive to me is like how successful it is it is at doing and saying what it wants to say. And I think those things involve, you know, just really capturing the misery of the human experience on the frontier, just how difficult and dirty and repressive it was for people who are otherwise artistic. There are a lot of, you know, moments in this film where you just have people who want to be themselves, but they can't. And the loneliness that that breeds out of people, it causes them to lash out and i think what's interesting about that is like we've we've seen that in westerns before that's nothing new but usually when we get that in westerns it's not as cerebral as this it's not as realistic Mm -hmm. usually just involves gunfights we're going to resolve everything by having a big face off you know at the at the saloon mm-hmm. you know we're going to have a big old brawl but instead this movie is more about the violence that doesn't happen it, it's more about like the unspoken aggression and like just people messing with each other because they're 
word like is really what it comes down to and like the emotional trauma and abuse that happened on the old west or new west we should say compared to what we see in you know westerns where it's more about like we got to save the town or you know what i'm saying so yeah. yeah it was that sort of thing that i thought was really impressive especially for a movie that came out or a novel that came out mm-hmm. in the 60s yeah um but also like without i'm gonna have to be delicate how i phrase this because i don't want to spoil anything but i also really appreciate how the movie it's about these characters who, like you said, they're all withholding this information and the movie kind of mirrors that as well. Like it, it kind of slowly reveals its cards over time. But what is apparent throughout the film is that like, there's a sense that like we have to kind of put on these identities. We have to kind of show these faces because it'll be worth it in the long run. Like we kind of have to like drudge through these things because ultimately that's what's expected of us and it'll be rewarding in the end. But then for certain characters, like they kind of put on this identity, they do this thing. And then we eventually find out like, you know, they just ultimately live a pretty sad life because they have to, uh, assume this sort of identity and then like it doesn't really pay off in the end because you know the the way of the west is never too forgiving for for most folks so that that kind of brings a uh a subdued sort of mournful quality to the film that I, I think is very uh true and fitting to the western genre but also gives this uh raw sort of tenderness that i feel like uh the genre uh, is all is not always willing to explore or dive into, and I think that's something that Jane Campion obviously is uh, is very interested in looking at here, and something that I think she's very adept at looking at, and it certainly makes for I think an enriching film, especially as you think back on more, and hopefully when you revisit the film, as I will, hopefully at some point. Yeah, I think when it comes down to it, Jane Campion is I think a master at tying and connecting her characterization, her characters to the cinematography and the overall look and presentation of a film. She, she does this so well in piano. It's a big reason why that film is, is as effective as it is, even though looking back on it, it, it kind of dated itself pretty quickly. If you, if you watch that film that said this film, you know, it almost sort of reframes the way that Westerns are shot because in an, in an older Western, what you might get from something, even something more recent, like news of the world or true grit, you get the sweeping Vista, right? You get the beautiful prairie, you get the frontier and what that represented to a different audience who watched Westerns for different reasons back in the day was look at this huge world that humans haven't corrupted yet. We have to prevent humans from corrupting it with violence and, you know, trying to, you know, mess up mother nature, you know, think dances with wolves, whatever you want. And it's it's spoken of as like nature is beautiful. And in this movie, it still is that same sweeping vista, that beautiful, meticulous filmmaking, but it's contextualized against look how empty and lonely this place is. It matches the characters. It matches how they feel like little specks who have nothing to offer and they can't get what they really want out of life. Uh, that what I, That's what I think in Campion is just so good at nailing. And I think that's a big reason why people who have watched a lot of films, so a lot of critics, are responding to this very positively because it is sort of bringing up something that is very interesting if you're pretty well versed in the history of Western films and you're you're kind of ready for a film like this. That said... It's it take, it requires a lot of patience. It really does. I mean, it's not like this film is you know it's it's not laugh a minute. It's not uh, a lot of action or spectacle. It's kind of doing something different. So I think that it's not the most accessible film out there for award season. But I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that that's what this film is, and it should be that. 
Yeah, for sure. And then also, I mean, that even comes down to the casting of Ben to Cumberbatch. I know we've discussed on the show in the past, like some of his roles where he tries to be an American, be a Doctor Strange, or um, I can never remember the name of the Guantanamo Bay movie he did. Uh, yeah, I forget too. Black Mass was the other one. Yeah, I just remember, like, I think that review, whatever review I did for the show, just made, made it was consistent of me making fun of the fact that Benedict Cumberbatch is trying to play like good old Southern boy. It's just like, you know, howdy, all my name's Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, th- like, the, so the idea to me that he would be playing this kind of stoic uh western ranch hand you know i gave gene campion the benefit of the doubt but at the same time i was going into a little skeptical like is he really gonna pull this off like i knew he was getting a word buzz and stuff but he's like is he gonna really pull this off like i don't know and i will admit like in the beginning i was kind of like i don't know like he's doing a good job but like i'm not quite buying this but then as we're alluding as the movie goes on it's like that's kind of the point you know right like the fact that like he doesn't really seem a piece with this place and this time is uh inherent to the character and the casting of ben and cumberbatch for that reason is ultimately kind of brilliant like if, if it was someone like josh brolin or um i don't know like i'm trying to think of another modern actor that would feel more appropriate to this sort of well i think uh, brolin could have done it and done it sure. pretty well that's not. I mean, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say that, but like, I, I think it's not to say that someone like Josh Brolin couldn't pull this off. But I think the fact that it is someone like Benedict Cumberbatch, someone who inherently like is an outsider. Well, yeah, to... but like someone that like inherently is sort of not going to feel comfortable with this sort of role going into mm-hmm. this. That lends itself saying. to the character really well in this case, and like, it's not to say like you know if if Benedict Cumberbatch is going to be another Western somebody I, who. who the hell knows but i mean not to say that he wouldn't pull that off but i think for a film like this but as far as like jane campion's broad thesis for the film i, I think that's a, a stroke of genius that you know certainly i would not expected even six months earlier yeah i think i agree with you there uh for the most part and yeah he's a complex character but i don't think that's all you need for a performance like this to get the attention that it's getting uh so currently benedict cumberbatch is now one of the front runners i mean he was already but i think it's solidified right. you know, him as a front runner for best actor uh his big competition of course is going to be will smith yeah and a few other actors i think andrew garfield from tick tick boom as well probably Maybe. now that said I think that one of the things about this performance, I really got to give it to Cumberbatch. What he does really well here and why I think that casting works as well as you're sort of inferring is because his character is so surprising. You know, he's not a straightforward character. He's Mm -hmm. a character who does and does things and reacts to things in ways that aren't always predictable. And Cumberbatch is really good at selling it. Sometimes when you have a character who's written like that and written in a good way, right, where some like where a character will react to something happening in a way that's, you know, that makes you kind of gets under your skin, makes you be like, oh, what's going to happen next with this person, even if you dislike them. But sometimes when actors take on a role like that, I think this is why I say Berlin could have done this. I think he would have been good at that sort of thing that Cumberbatch is doing here where it all feels consistent. Like when he suddenly shows like a soft side, it doesn't feel like a character turn out of nowhere. It actually feels inevitable. It it feels like a true and honest facet of who this person really is. And so I think that's why people are really praising this performance because I think Cumberbatch just really did the work here and it's, it's really great. And I think Campion is obviously fantastic at directing her actors and they really got it right. What do you think of the other performances though? Because we also have Kirsten Dunst and 
we have Jesse Plemons, a uh, married couple in real life. And, you know, I, I've been a little bit back and forth with what I think of the, this, this like pair of performances. I like it more than I don't. Uh, but th- there were times in this movie where I, I certainly liked Dunst all the way through. I had issues with Plemons here and there where I felt like his character oh, was sort of. Huh. Yeah, I, there was something I felt like was missing. Uh, I don't mm. know if it was a missing scene or there was something about him that I didn't I wanted more of perhaps mm. uh, specifically his relationship with phil i had to sort of f- feel like the film was implying a lot of their relationship and what's like the source of his loneliness as a person he even has right. a, one of my favorite scenes in the movie oh, yeah, yeah same here um where he is you know dialoguing with you know kirsten dunce's mm. character and just saying it's so great to not be alone i mean it it, yeah. it hits um but aside from that i just did not get a sense of this guy what about you um as far as it sounds like you're kind of uh, disagreeing as far as the character or the performance. Um, and I guess I feel separately as far as what your question is, but, um, oh, and before I forget, I mean, to piggy off of what piggyback off you're saying off of, um, Bennett Cumberbatch. Um, I, I do agree with you that like, I'm not trying to undermine his performance or anything. I think he is quite good here. I just think the casting itself is a sort of unexpected, uh, stroke of genius that, uh, I think is, really interesting to dive into. So that's kind of my broad thesis where I was trying to say there earlier, but as far as Benedict or um, Jesse Plemons and um, Kirsten Dunst, uh, I was with Jesse Plemons all the way through. I had no issue with his performance. I thought he's actually probably my second favorite lead performance in the film. Oh, wow. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. I thought, I mean, I think Jesse Plemons is always great. I think he's really shaping up to be a tremendous actor right now. And I, um, I don't think he's doing anything here. We haven't seen from him. Like, I don't think he's, it's not the same. It's like Ben and is just like, this is like a new shade to the actor that we haven't seen before. And that's why it's sort of, uh, it's easier to champion that performance. I think I I can understand why Plemons performance is going to be, uh, overlooked for that reason. But I, I think he is really, really good in this. And I think, his performance, like you said, it's so intuitive and it's so nuanced in a way that I think he is perfectly cast for. And I think that scene that you're referring to is great. Um, and uh, I agree, though, that I think my only issue with him is that the, the movie in service of giving Cody Smith McPhee and Kirsten Dunst more time in the narrative, it seems like his character has to kind of play second fiddle or kind of be regressed in a lot of ways uh, from the narrative. And I, I don't know if that's because they, they're kind of uh, cherry picking what they adapted from the book, or if, um, you know, his character kind of gradually fades in the background and the text as well. But I did, I, I did find that unfortunate, but as far as uh, Kirsten Dunst, um, I, I thought what they did with the character was good and I'm always happy to see her. I think it's been like four years since she's been in a film or something like that. Something crazy, uh, like that, but her performance, it, it it's one I've kind of gone back and forth on. Unfortunately, um, I, I do kind of like the theatricalness of it. It feels appropriate to like, sort of like the type of performance that we would see in these old fashioned sort of black and white Westerns where it has, it's a little bit uh more theatrical even like almost more melodramatic than some of the other performances here that are a little bit more uh reserved and lived in it seems like that there's something interesting about how her performance feels a higher key than those but at the same time i felt like that almost kind of took me out of it at times like her performance seemed to be a different vibe than everyone else and it didn't always work for me in that respect but i don't think it's like an incompetent performance or anything like that it just didn't always hit me in the same way that I felt like some of her other better performances have really uh, worked wonders for me in the past. I think I would take one of her, pre- one of her more recent 
performances, the beguiled over this one, but I think they're of a piece. And uh, yeah, it has been four years because I think her last film was Woodshock, which came out right after. Yeah, the that weed movie that everyone forgot yeah. about. She's good in that <laughs> yeah. movie, but it's unfortunately kind of a bore. So uh, it's easy to be forgotten. Oh, well, what are you going to do? Cody Smith McPhee, I, I really want to give this actor a lot of props. You know, he was in Night, he was Nightcrawler in the uh, the X-Men movies. And he's been in, I think one of his most acclaimed roles was probably Donald the Planet of the Apes, The Road, Let Me yeah. In. Yeah, this guy's mm-hmm. this guy's been in some great stuff. Paramor- Paranorman, I think he was a voice in that. Yeah, but, wasn't um, he, um, was he Norman in that film, if I'm not mistaken? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. He's also another Western that uh, is uh, would be a good double feature at this, but I don't know if it's one you've seen. Have you seen Slow West? Slow West? No, I remember that was one that was on my list back in like 2018 or 2017, whenever it was. Oh, uh, man, I really like that movie a lot. It's with Michael Fassbender. It's a, a really solid overlooked Western. So if you if you really like his performance in, in this film, I would definitely recommend that film as well. I think he's great in this because... It's it must have been so challenging to you have to hold your own against Benedict Cumberbatch and one of his like career best films. And I think Smith McPhee doesn't miss a beat here. I think he has arguably the most important scene of the entire movie, which is the ending. And I think we, we don't want to talk about the ending, of course, but I think the ending it's my one of my favorite things about the movie. It's what I think takes the movie from being good to actually being like legitimately great. Um, once it really comes into focus, what's going on. And I think some people have like argued about the implications of what happens in the end. To me, it's pretty clear cut though. Like um, maybe it's a, it's a fault of the movie translating from the book, but well, uh, did, did you have any similar issues? I think the gravity of it hits harder the more you think about it, but I don't think the film is necessarily subtle in what it's saying there. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that's it, what I thought. But like I think I, I, people yeah. have been like disagreeing. They've been saying like, no, it's not really saying that. I'm like, yeah, it is. I don't think <laughs> right? it's. I don't think it's a secret though, because like there's even that like kind of narration that uh, Im- implies as much anyway. So it's like you know, yeah, it yeah. almost says too much. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if that was kind of a studio note sort of thing. But then again, I don't know if Netflix does notes, so I don't know. Uh, My other flaw with this movie yeah. is that Thomas and McKenzie just kind of shows up. And it's oh, like, wait, yeah. you're Thomas and McKenzie. <laughs> and I was very uh, confused about that. Yeah, I was going to say, I, was, I, I feel bad because it's like, I like Thomas and McKenzie a good bit. I think she's a promising young upcoming yeah, she's, actress. She's a great actor, and but this is like casting overkill because it's not uh, a significant yeah. character in this. I don't know if it's more significant in the book. And they were filming this last year. It's not like Jojo Rabbit hadn't been a thing yet, right? Like after um, Jojo Rabbit and Leave No Trace, I I don't know. I thought this was filmed in 2019, but I could be wrong. Um, no, it was. It was. They were filming this in um, last like early last year. Okay. 2020. Okay. But it was, wasn't it before the pandemic? I it, thought I yeah, but then it was halted. I think like they had to resume production like later in the summer or something like oh, that. Oh, really? Oh, that makes sense. But um, yeah, because they were filming in uh, New Zealand. So there was a whole mess. Involving, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but as far as Thomson McKenzie's performance, uh, I'll, I, like I said, I like her a lot, but I thought, unfortunately, she was not very good in this film. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a minor Bizarre. role. So it's, Right. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> it's just I think it mostly just comes down to the accent. It seems like she's really struggling with it in a way that, um, you know, I, I don't really blame her. It's 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 and I don't blame Jane Campion either. It's not like I, I don't think she's like poorly directed or anything. It's just I, I just think there something happened there. And it's just like I, I, I think someone need to kind of push her aside and be like, hey, look, I know you're yeah. trying. This accent ain't working. Well, did, didn't she have the accent kind of good for old? 
But I guess that happened later, right? So maybe she had more practice. Well, I thought it made sense in old because like there's like that obvious childlike quality to it. And it, it that's it, true. In old, <laughs> like it made sense where it's less like it, it helps to make you feel like it's kind of um what's the word? Like it's more surreal, I guess, in that. Yeah, I wonder film. if that's like partly like why Shyamalan casted her. He was just like, This is just perfect right. yeah and she kind of had that like mousy voice in um last night in soho but i didn't mind it there for whatever reason like it uh, there's also like the kind of same like well the british accent kind of masks it right sure and in leave no trace she's a lot quieter right she's got she's a little bit like when she's talking i don't know it fits the story so i don't know we don't right. we don't have to do a deep dive on her no 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 not no, but what I'm saying is it's not her voice. It's like she's doing an accent in this. I think that's what doesn't work. That's like, it's true, not, yeah. Like, it's like her Leave trying to do like was a, a little bit more invisible yeah. in terms of accents. Right. And also, like, she's, like, doing a German accent in um, uh, Jojo Rabbit. And I don't know. That seemed to work fine. Uh, but for some reason with this voice, it's like, I just, I just don't think the Southern accent, like, she just never quite nailed it. I don't know if it was just, like, her and the voice coach or whatever. Like, it just something didn't. It, it's such a minor role that it's not like it doesn't kill the movie or anything it just every time she comes in it just it, it feels yeah. like this weird like i don't know what you're doing here kid but i'm sorry this ain't working <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry we've actually talked about it a lot more than i thought we would <laughs> but what are yeah. you gonna do it's one of the few complaints i have to be honest yeah. with the film did you did you have any yeah. others before we wrap it up or complaints um that's the thing right like is that all the things that have kind of like felt maybe like mixed or negative on i've actually kind of grown to appreciate with the film like i said i think it's just i think it's me having to catch up with the film rather than like the film doing anything wrong do you get what i mean with that um like i feel like everything in this movie is very deliberate very intentional and i'm only going to appreciate more time hopefully um scotch it has a bitter taste but yeah you grow to appreciate the the loads of flavors and what they really represent over time yeah and so i mean I, I don't want to come out and be like, oh, this XYZ didn't work for me. And then like two months from now, I'll be like, well, you idiot. That was clearly a deliberate choice by <laughs> Jane Campion to show the plight of these, uh, you know, woebegotten characters or whatever. But wow. um, okay. yeah, whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I don't have any major complaints or anything. Uh, I, I think, like I said, I think it works. And I, I'm only growing to like it more as I reflect on the film, as you mentioned. So I think yeah. it's a really solid film. And I, I think a lot of people are going to like it, especially if they are patient and really sit with it. I was fortunate enough to see this in theaters. I know a lot of people aren't going to have that opportunity. I think you watched it at home on Netflix. So um, that's not to say it's the wrong way to watch or anything. I just, I think in theaters, it's a better way because you can really sit and reflect on the film. It's, it's, uh, it's easier yeah, just to no be immersed. Yeah. Right. It's easier to be immersed in it. You don't feel like that itch to check your phone as much and all that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think either way though, people are going to, to really appreciate this film. If they sit with it and really, uh, give it its proper due so uh, i imagine this one's going to be considered among the, the finer films that netflix uh, has produced and for sure understandably so yeah i think this one's gonna it's right now in my top 25 of the year i think it's like number 24 and it could go up it could go down i don't know but uh we still have a few weeks left of the year to go before we kind of wrap things up and obviously this one is a favorite among a lot of critics and a lot of film enthusiasts to win plenty of awards but i guess we'll have a fun conversation about that down the road for now though let's play our rotten tomatoes game will ashton you're going to try to guess the rotten tomatoes score as we record this of course the rotten tomato score always changes but yeah what do you think the critical rotten tomato score is right now out of 235 reviews lots of reviews counted 
certainly has to be high. Uh, I can't imagine it's anywhere lower than 90%. My gut says 96%. Spot on. You sure you didn't cheat? I, I mean, unless I saw Look it, internalized it. Uh, I am not looking at the Rotten Tomatoes score right now, so unless I internalized it at some point, that uh, that was just my gut. So I'm, well done, yeah, yeah. Congrats, you got it spot on. A second week in a row, you got one spot on. Uh, yeah, ninety six percent of critics who have rated it have at least liked it. Um, so it is for sure certified fresh. But what about the audience score? We have 500 plus ratings. Uh, we don't have verified ratings. So it's kind of this is a tricky one probably then because you can't just sort of uh, assume everyone who reviewed it saw it. But uh, right. we'll try to guess anyway. I imagine most people are going to like it. I mean, some people may not like the the politics of it, for lack of a better word, um, for, you know, for some reasons or another. But I, I think most people who are going to go out of their way to review it are going to like it. My guess is going to be 84 percent, 65 percent. Yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty low down the, the poll there. Um, yeah, I think I think. I have seen some negative reactions from just, you know, like everyday people kind of expecting something probably a little bit more fast paced and not getting what they thought that they wanted. But yeah, it's, it's hard to determine out of just a right. you know, 500 plus ratings and they're not verified, you know? I mean, if you compare something like the harder they fall, I can imagine some folks being like, this isn't my, my thing, like faster or the harder they fall is like a lot quippier. It's a lot faster. It's, it's, it's like, you know, more up tempo beat. And this is obviously the opposite of that. It's like more reserved kind of low downbeat type film. So I, I can get that, but that's still kind of sad to see. I did a quick, like, just look, cause there's only 10 reviews that are rotten right now. And so I was kind of curious, like, Oh, do anybody we know anybody, any cinemaholics friends, uh, nobody that I know, I don't know about you. Um, but I am seeing, you know, one of some of the bigger ones, like of course, National Review didn't like it. Uh, discussing film didn't like it, but that, that's that's kind of interesting. Was that um, uh, Armin White or was that someone else for National Review? Uh, Kyle Smith. Uh, oh, okay. I've seen his byline. Oh wait, I don't he... think I've ever read anything from him. Didn't he used to write for the New York Post? I'm not sure. Okay, but uh, yeah, the the top critic. There is one top critic. He didn't like it. And I was surprised to see it. Joe Morgenstern from Wall Street Journal. Okay. Uh, who I get. I mean, look, he's he's not Richard Brody. Hmm. <laughs> he doesn't just sort of, he's not a contrarian, but uh, I wouldn't you know. even call Richard Brody a contrarian, contrarian, but I get what you mean. I think he is in terms of like blockbuster fare. Eh, um, I, I, not, not compared to Armand White. Sure. Sure. I don't know. I think he's always very thoughtful in his responses, but I get what you're saying. Sure. Okay, well, that is The Power of the Dog. You can watch it right now on Netflix, or you can find it in limited theaters if you happen to be around a theater that's limited that has it. It is uh, just two hours and seven minutes long. Yeehaw. All right, our next film here. Yeehaw to yeah. The Power of the Dog. We're feeling the power. <laughs> yeah. Our next film here is a very different film in a lot of ways. It is the latest film directed and co-written by Paul Verhoeven. Paul Verhoeven being somebody who... You, we we love to see um celebrated director yeah he's back uh <laughs> he is back with uh benedetta yeah the, the first non-sploitation mainstream film in quite a while i don't know if you could call it mainstream but mainstream adjacent sure um, i mean were the non-sploitation movies even mainstream those were always kind of more of like a grindhouse mm, sort of thing right is that what you're fair referring enough to? Was, right. was, but this is was there never like a big non-sploitation film ever you're right, uh, Sisters Act too. Well, I was going to say, are you counting the Sister Acts in that? Or are you talking more like pornographic? So I'm I, talking more of the pornographic. Yeah, right. yeah. That was an era for, or, for I guess more, more. That'd be more, this is more kind of softcore, I guess. This isn't like 
Or yeah. th- this is an actual pornography or anything. This isn't, play. this wouldn't play at like a, you know, like a stag theater or something like that in the 60s, 70s. Now that said, yeah. Paul Verhoeven's made a lot of films. All right. He, he, hasn't, he hasn't written a ton of films, um, uh, but he. I guess not. Yeah. No, I think only like a handful, not even half. Mm. Um, His recent stuff, he's had more of a hand as far as the writing process, I think. Well, not, right? not L. He didn't write L. Okay. Right? But I thought he wrote. His like he, like they write black book. He wrote black book, yeah. Okay, okay. And tricked. And tricked, yeah. That's what I thought. But then before that, like he didn't write anything since like the eighties. So he just you know he doesn't have a pen. He lost it. But uh, no, his last film was L from twenty sixteen, five years back. Uh, did you like L, Washington? Yeah, good film. I I don't remember if I liked it. Why it's, not? I I didn't have Letterbox at the time, so I don't have like a like a set like letterbox review i remember seeing it in the theater and just not i don't think i have an opinion hmm. so i don't know it's, it's kind of a thorny film i guess like given the subject matter but i i think he it, it's weird that's the type of film that i think even he was just like i expect this one to be one of my more controversial divisive films and that was like one of his more well-received like unanimously yeah. praised films and he was just kind of like oh really like oh. <laughs> like no he's, he's not gonna All fight right. it but he's kind of like oh really like this is the one that you know like starship troopers that gets a divisive response showgirls right. that gets a divisive response but l you know that's fawning praise and i think rightfully so but just for him yeah. that's kind of surprising <laughs> his his biggest films um like you mentioned starship troopers huge film for him a uh, great satire uh one of those like sneaky satires uh, showgirls like you said of course total recall robocop yeah uh, he's made other films but those are definitely among like yeah the, the top of the top uh, in terms of public awareness basic instinct, basic is a instinct. Big one. yeah that's a yeah big one. i do have that one <laughs> yeah i think the the big ones to compare this one to are probably basic instinct showgirls and black book right i haven't seen black book so i mean because that was 15 years ago i want to say so yeah i never got to that film sure. um but yeah yeah i think you're right uh, i think that I think what's interesting to me about his films just in general is that I just think he's so good at making films that are really outlandish and just going over a certain type of person's head where people will take it seriously. And then the people who don't take it seriously are loving it the most because they see what he's doing. It's the same thing. Like for me, that was Starship Troopers, like having that moment when like rewatching the film, I'm like, oh, like. There is a way, like, especially when you're a kid, to take that movie as just, like, a standard kind of sci-fi romp with, you know, friends, you know, learning to deal with, you know, loss and the the struggles of war. But then you watch it as an adult in a totally different way. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of hard to see that movie as anything uh, less than goofy, but... I, I think well, not when you're a kid, though, right? I guess Or if so. you are the kind of person that the film is criticizing or, you know, parodying. Right. But I guess we, I guess you're saying that's like you could see that with like something like watch it with Men in Black, which is also a great film. But you could watch that and be like, oh, it's just like a fun, goofy kind of uh, alien romp, whatever. Right. Then, where people watch it like unironically kind of, you know, like right. they, they're not in on the joke. I think that's yeah. something he's great at. I think he's doing that with Benedetta. Yeah. This this nun film, right. it takes place in uh, the 17th century during the Black Plague, which actually now that I'm thinking about that, 17th century wasn't the Black Plague. That was like Renaissance, wasn't it? Uh, I'm 
by no means a history buff, so I... Well, when I, I was I, watching the film, I took it because the, the bubonic plague is happening, unless unless it's like a different plague. Sure. Maybe they didn't say black plague, because it was that. This would be taking place in like the 1300s, let's, 1400s. Let's just say he takes some artistic liberties with several okay. things uh, in this movie. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to do a fact, yeah, because I'm not a historical effort, uh, expert either, and this is based on a real person named Benedetta. Um, of course, like, yeah, artistic liber- liberties across the board. It's actually to the point where it's kind of funny a, a thing that happens at the very end where you're just like really <laughs> you're gonna do that um in terms of uh, tying this to to real events uh in the way that he does but anyway this is about an italian convent that takes in a new novice we see her first as a young girl named benedetta and um i, I forget i don't know the uh, the young actor's name but she's eventually played by virgin ifra and she is a very devout none like she she plays things by the book the book you know capital b book we're talking about the bible uh she lives her life in full devotion to the lord to the point where she literally has visions of like action star jesus coming in and saving her from bandits yeah i i mean she takes the idea that she's married to christ uh rather literally let's put it this way it's amazing it's i mean i just want to get this off of that this film is amazing like I'm bowing down to it as we speak. Uh, maybe yeah. that's sacrilegious. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm quite fond of it as well, but I'll, I will talk about that more once yeah, you yeah, finish I can't, the I'm so excited. I can't even finish the setup. Yeah, yeah. Like, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. No, but yeah, so she's, she is a nun in this Italian convent, and she, uh, you know, things kind of change, though, when as her... As, as her life, she's like becoming an, a bit of an older nun now. She's in like, I want to say her 30s. There is a new novice who comes to town and she 30s? notices. I want to say she was in her 30s. Maybe she was I in thought, her 20s. I thought she was like early to mid 20s. Maybe. Um, I, I could just be totally misjudging I, because wait, the actress herself is in her 40s and I don't uh, think they're going there. But yeah, it may be right because it, it was 18 years after the, the beginning of the film. So yeah, you, it, I guess it would be around her 30s. Yeah, you're right. Well, they kind of play it too, where like she's a little bit older, but she's not old. And there's a new novice who comes in who is younger. She is kind of like in her 20s. It's definitely hinted at. And uh, her name is Bartolomea. She's played by Daphne Patakia, who I recognized in this movie, but I wasn't sure who she was. I think she's like a maybe a Greek actress. I'm actually not totally sure. Um, in terms for Virgin Ifri, um, I don't think i saw i've seen any of her films before but i know i recognize her too mm-hmm. from like a couple of things i've probably seen a trailer yeah now she, uh, she yeah. has kind of a distinctive look like she's obviously like conventionally beautiful but there's something also kind of like wild about her eyes that's kind of intriguing in a weird you know what i mean by that at all yeah yeah was she an l actually she might have been in that. Yeah, I, one of these two actresses was also an l i'm trying to remember who it was i but... think it was her and i'm just kind of forgetting it's been sure. a while sure um but yeah, uh, I oh no, I was going to bring this up. I because I, I did uh, look this up. I saw somebody tweet about it, and I wanted to make sure, and I wanted to spring this on you. Did you know that she did the French dub for not one, okay, but two Garfield movies? Oh, nice! I did not know that. Who, who she voice? Normal. She voiced. <laughs> um, she voiced uh, Liz. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Look at that. Yeah. I just wanted to give you a little, little, little dose of sugar in your day. Yeah. Right that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> For listeners who don't know, Will likes Garfield more than most. Um, okay. More than most? Yeah, I would say. Garfield's a very popular comic strip, John. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to go there. So uh, basically, this film 
it it sort of is about how these two women sort of form a bit of a taboo, unconventional bond. I don't want to say that it's like just a straight up like lesbian love affair because I think there's much more to it than that. But I think you can tell that's what this movie is pretty quickly. I don't want to say much else, but basically this this film becomes mayhem. It becomes paranoia. Basically, this woman in a power struggle for the future of the Catholic Church. And it's it's brilliant. Brilliant film. Yeah. The thing, I, as we've basically alluded to earlier, uh, what I always find fascinating about Paul Verhoeven and something that delights me to know, and that, that continues in his filmography with this film, is that he – people sometimes try to dismiss him as like a provocateur, like someone who is just – you know, basically trying to get a rise at people. Yeah. And Lowest common denominator, that kind right. of cheap filmmaking. And like, is he going for cheap thrills? Certainly. I mean, I, he would not argue against that, right? Like he's obviously, you know, he, he, he has a style. He likes to play things up uh, very theatrical, very over the top, very grandiose. And he doesn't shy away from that. But I don't think, I don't think he makes a movie just to get a rise out of people. Like, I don't think his movies are ever trying just to be exploitation for the sake of exploitation. Not that they would be lesser if they were, but I'm saying that I think as we mentioned with like with Starship Troopers, like with RoboCop, like with any number of his films, he is using these sort of risque taboo subjects, but he's talking about things that are obviously a lot deeper, something that interests him uh, more thematically. And I, I think this film, uh, as we'll talk about for certain variety of reasons is no exception and I, it just delights yeah. me that he's 83 i think at this point and he's still just coming out making a movie like this cheeky this mischievous this uh uh um this impish almost but he's like this you know this perverted old man that's just still doing this it, it just it's very fun i'm just very grateful to have paul verhoeven still making movies like this right now I agree with you so much. And you know, I want to be clear about something. First of all, I'm going to I'm going to do my best to avoid saying very specific things that happened in this movie because, you know, I watched it pretty fresh, right? And like seeing these things happen for yourself is a gift, you know. Uh, especially if the, if you are the kind of person that this movie is gunning for, I obviously think that a lot of people will watch this and be horrifically offended and not enjoy it. I would not recommend it to anyone in my family whatsoever. Right. Very yeah, few I was people about I would that. recommend it to. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, there are there are a few protests already happening for the film, um, at least in certain theaters. I think it's not like a dogma situation where people are like getting on the news yeah, about isn't it. Cuties. Uh, no, I, I'm just talking from a uh, Catholical standpoint, like for people sure, from the Catholic sure. Church protesting it. It's not like something like dogma where they're like getting on the news because they're protesting it. It's just kind of more just like this one uh, like local theater is just getting like one or two local theaters are getting bombarded by people protesting the film for reasons I can, I guess, kind of understand. But it's also just like, aren't there bigger fish to fry <laughs> right now? You know, not to sure. Not to yeah. make it a biblical pun, but um, we have an actual plague. You know, we don't exactly, need to go after yeah, the movie right. that has a plague in it. Yeah. So I, I want to say I think that I, I we've had we've had some fun, we've had some laughs in terms of just how tired the lesbian love affair movie sort of subgenre has been how lazy it's really been over the last really not just the last ten years, last fifteen to twenty years, really since. You know, filmmakers have felt a little bit more uh, bolder or brazen to like bring these stories to a bigger audience because, you know, it, we are seeing 
more equality, uh, more acceptance of these stories on film than we did before. And I think that filmmakers are generally getting better at that form of representation. That said, there is still this piece of like lesbian movie that just keeps getting made in terms of like you you have these two women and they want to be together but they can't and it's it's formulaic it's like we we know the beats we know how it's all going to play out and not since though i would say portrait of a lady on fire have we gotten one that really like shakes it up and it's about so much more than just that easy like we want to be together but we can't that's the conflict what's going to happen the 90 percent of those movies end the same way it's boring stuff Mm -hmm. but this movie is so much more about the relationships between women romantically and platonically uh charlotte rampling is the other lead actor here mm-hmm. um who is she plays the abbess and she like the leader of the the convent and she is like i think sneaky great in this movie like truly captivating to well, behold charlotte rampling i mean she's always great. yeah Right. I mean, yeah, I would say not sneaky great like Charlotte Rampling good in a movie, but more so like when you first meet her, you, you think she's one kind of character and she's just going to hit those beats the way you expect. Mm. But no, she she comes I, in and like brings it in a totally different way than I was expecting, at least. Uh, I mean, I, like I said, I think she's always great and I think she excels at these type of characters. I, I, I felt that was part of the course. Like when I saw not that she gets pigeonholed to certain type of roles, but I think she obviously excels at this type of character. And so when I saw her cast in this part, I'm like, I'm, I'm assuming this is where it's going to go. And sure enough. Yeah. So, well, I think it's so much more than that, though. She's not just like a grump. who's like, I don't want them to be together. It's like so much deeper and more interesting than that. Right. And, but that's what she yeah. excels at. Like, I, I feel like she plays a lot of those type of characters to great success, obviously. But I feel like that's that's like the Charlotte Rambling magic. Right. You know what I mean? I guess, but I mean, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm, I've got something a little bit more unique out of it than it sounds. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to talk about it, right? Without I us. Think, <laughs> going I just think that it's not that I think I got less out of it. I just, I, I think Charlotte Ramley is just so adept at like playing this type of character. But like, obviously, like, I think she's just a great actress in general. I think that's that's basically what I'm trying to say. Well, we agree there. Um, this film, it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. It was in the competition for the Palme d'Or. Obviously, it did not win. But I, I do think, though, of a lot of the films I've seen this year, I I would say Benedetta, Benedetta is one of the more surprising ones. It, it is a provoking film, you know, despite what you know, we were both kind of saying before. Uh, I don't think it's trying to be provocative for the sake of being provocative, though. Did, did you get that kind of sense? Like, did you get the sense that this film is like doing something kind of different? Or do you feel like it's just better at doing something that's already been done before? I think it's Verhoeven being Verhoeven in that I think he indulges in the kind of uh, what's the word I should be looking for here? Uh, the kind of crass, exploitive qualities of the film. But like he doesn't look down on the fact that a movie can be a little risque and, and lean into like these uh, non-exploitation cliches or expectations. But at the same time, as we were mentioning earlier, I think he, he, he doesn't he's not going in this for a cheap rise. You know what I mean? Either for himself or for the audience. Like, I think he's obviously very thoughtful in what he wants to say here. I, I think he tackles the he uses those expectations to feed into his broader ideas and what he wants to say with this character. And I think it's just a testament to how good of a filmmaker he is that he can kind of have the best of both worlds here. He can make a movie that is uh, provocative and uh, taboo and, and, and play to the cheap seats in some of that ways. But he's also very thoughtful when he can make a film that is talking about religion in a very 
uh, elaborate and dense way. And so it just, you know, that's what I expect from Paul Verhoeven. And so it wasn't quite a surprise for me to see him pull it off. It just, it's just a great joy that he's still able to pull it off, I guess. You know, actually, I, I want to say real quick, too, because I've been comparing this to other films like Portrait, and uh, I was thinking of like other films like The Handmaiden during this, but I do think it's kind of its own thing. And I think there's a lot of really good stuff in here about just religion and how to grapple with religion. It's amazing to see from an 83-year-old man, you know, who, again, he did write this. And I just think that he has something so so progressive and, you know, interesting to say about the Catholic Church uh, that just sort of, it's not simplistic. It's not just being like, ah, this is all bad. This is all terrible. He's showing a person who like, you know, her life, her, the, the thing that she desires conflicts with the other thing that she desires and she decides to never compromise on it. And there's just something very interesting, I think, about, you know, doing that and using power to get what you want in a world that doesn't want it. And then it all sort of happens in a very interesting cinematic way. There's a lot of spectacle in this movie, a lot of intrigue. So I was pretty, I was pretty with this movie. Yeah. Seeing it, seeing it on the screener and everything. And then I, I was engrossed with this film, even though, even when it was gross, um, I, I really dug it. Yeah. I mean, as I think you're suggesting, like there is a, a way that he could have tackled the the catholic church where it's like looking down upon it and being like oh how foolish to you know believe in such things and all that and i think he clearly a little self-righteous sure there you go there's some Ah. more puns there's some more puns um but i mean i think the man um i don't know if he's i mean he's he's talked about religion in his other films i I think he's actually i don't know if you've heard about this apparently he like wrote a novel about jesus like it's like uh kind of like a reimagining of the jesus story and it came because i guess he uh like had like a few month period where he felt like he was actually having a conversation with jesus which is really funny when you think about this film like the fact that he had almost have a similar experience you know what i mean uh is uh pretty fascinating stuff but um yeah yeah i I think think, doesn't he want to like actually adapt that into a a movie yeah i remember when he wrote it it was like a decade ago or something and he wanted to. Right. Yeah. But I mean, Let's I just see meant it. like, yeah, well, I mean, well, for sure. But apparently his next film is like a uh, erotic thriller based in Washington, D.C. But it's going to be from the uh, writer of RoboCop and Starship Troopers. So I'm it, it, I hope both come to be. I mean, I'm you know, I, I kind of thought this would be his last film, to be perfectly frank. So if he I, I'm happy if he can make another film at all. But either of those sound fantastic. So I hope they both come to yeah. be. If he's got more in the tank, let's see it. Right. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, I hope he's like Clint Eastwood, just like making movies at 90. And as long as they're as good as this, I hope. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like, to, as far as the religious allegories and the, the commentary therein, um, yeah, I I think he, as I was saying before, I think he just finds a really fine balance that only a filmmaker like Verhoeven can pull off where it is uh, critical, but not scathing of the religion of the Catholic church or religion in general. And it can lean into these genre expectations and play up the kind of smuttiness of the film, but have neither really conflict with what he's trying to say by and large, if anything, they obviously complement one, one another. Like it's this, uh, you know, mix of high and low art in a way that is really, really fascinating. And like I said, only a director, I think, like Paul Verhoeven could really pull that off so successfully. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. I think that that's the the trick that he pulls off with this movie that he, he pulls off in a lot of other movies and that's, it's funny, but it's not like a stupid kind of silly. Like it's smart. 
and it actually has an intelligent thing to say, but it also has a really good sense of humor. Like the outrageous things that we're seeing on screen aren't there for no reason. They actually like all serve the the joke and the, but not just the joke, but like the message too. I think that he's just really good at genre hybrids and it was it's cool to see him do a genre hybrid like this that you know it has a signature style it it hits hard in a way where you know you're always entertained by it but it just feels to me like every scene kind of like goes together in a really you know intelligent way but at the same time it's 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 paul bear it's it's irreverent you know it's not the kind of film that like you watch and it feels like it's a capital I important movie, but it just feels like a movie that he made and did his best at. And so I can't help but really have a heart for it. And so, yeah, he's still making good movies. Right. Yeah. Go. Yeah. Because it's like there are several things in this movie where I can imagine select audiences being like, do we really need X, Y, Z in this? And I think based on what I've read from Paul Verhoeven being interviewed in the past and with this film, it's just like, like, did we need graphic sex scenes with this movie? I, I guess not, but that's just what I wanted to but do. Do you need anything in any movie? Right, exactly. I love that response. Right, it's so yeah, exactly. Great. Yeah, and that's just like that. That just sums up Paul Verhoeven in general. Like, I think yeah. everything is very deliberate and thoughtful, but he's also like you know, like I say, sort of uh, impish and you know, almost I guess uh, devilish in that way, where he's just like he's mischievous. He's right. a mischievous old man. Right. He's just like, well, why not? Like, I mean, you know, I, I, I like it's. Would it be a lesser film without him? Like, maybe, I don't know who, but, like, he wants to. And it, it makes it more of a Paul Verhoeven film. And that's certainly something I think we should be championing and celebrating, especially with this film. It is not a sin if you decide to go see Benedetta. I mean, I don't know. It depends on your religion, I guess. <laughs> sure. I yeah, mean, I'm not going to. <laughs> is it a sin to enjoy it? Maybe, but, you know, sometimes, <laughs> you know. You'll everyone, be forgiven. I don't know by who, but definitely by us. Um, you know, to quote the film, everyone is allowed to have a sin. And I, I think this is certainly ah, one yes. that I, I allow myself to have, at least. Same here. All right. What do you think the Rotten Tomatoes critical score is for Benedetta out of 113 reviews? Now, this one is tricky. I think most critics are favorable to positive on the film because they, they know what to expect with Paul Verhoeven. But there are some critics, uh, for instance, the Associated Press I believe gave this like a zero out of five stars or something like that. And it was like some ridiculous review. I read it, but it didn't. yeah, legendary review. No, yeah. no self-awareness. I loved it. I really hope the uh, marketing team behind bed that uses those quotes. Yeah. They should have review. retweeted it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> right. Like, you know, yeah. Uh, you know, this is what critics are saying about our film and all that. But um, I think it's like 72%. That's my gut is what I think it's, it is. 83 percent right, uh, the age of paul verhoeven yeah uh, yeah yeah no kidding fitting yeah um yeah great movie and uh yeah definitely critics are liking it quite a bit a little bit more than you predicted uh but what about audience score we have fewer than 50 verified ratings so who knows um hmm that's tricky uh shooting i'm gonna take a shot in the dark and say 85 percent close-ish 80 percent okay so well done in your own way you got you got pretty you. close i'm proud thank you thank yeah. you all right well that is benedetta it is now playing in limited theaters if you're listening to us from france uh i think and uh 
the Netherlands might have already played this too. Yeah, like they're like, what took you guys so long? Yeah, We've been yeah. waiting. Um, Late to the party. Yeah, they had right. mass at 5 a.m. We're showing up next yeah. day. Um, not to delay this anymore, but I think it's so funny that I saw this in AMC theater. Like the fact that this played <laughs> in AMC theater is so bonkers That's to fantastic. me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, but whatever. All right. Well, yeah, you can check it out. It is 131 minutes long. I was actually surprised when I saw that. 131 minutes. This felt like 95 minutes to me. Um, I don't know about you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I 100% agree. I was actually, it was like the, the, just the point where I was like, yeah, it's getting a little long. What I was just about to kind of check my phone and see what time is. And that's when the credits came up. I was like, hot damn. Like Perfect. Paul Verfin knows when to get in, when to get out. Good for <laughs> yeah. him. Airtight. All right. Our last film for the week here. Come on, come on is a film that was a bit of an awards contender earlier in the season. It premiered at Telluride. It's a black and white drama written and directed by Mike Mills. Mike Mills is one of my favorite indie directors. I love every single one of his films that I've seen, and that's two of them. Uh, okay, the joke is he's not directed a lot of films, but the two he's films made... that he has made uh, that I've seen, he made Thumbsucker as well. Right. But um, Beginners and 20th Century Women, mm -hmm. really, really important films to me. Just yeah, very, in general. very personal films, very heartfelt, meaningful films for obviously you and him. So and me, of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I like both those films quite a lot. They're quite good. Uh, Beginners is my favorite from him for sure. Now, this one is a bit different from those in that, it, yeah, it's black and white. Uh, it is a little bit more similar to Beginners where we're not going back into the past, but this is a modern day film. It stars Joaquin Phoenix. I think his the first big swing for best actor since Joker. Uh, the film also stars Gabby Hoffman, who plays a sister, Scoot McNary, who I was not expecting to see in this movie. Uh, also Molly Webster, Jabuki Young White, mm -hmm. uh, and Woody Norman. That, yeah. Jabuki being in the movie was my surprise. Like I was not expecting Jabuki and I was very thankful to see him, but I was just like, man, you're in this movie. Wow. How about that? Yeah. And so this film, it is, it's a pretty simple film to kind of describe. We follow Joaquin Phoenix as, you know, he's unmarried, he's single, he doesn't have any kids, lives in New York, and his whole deal, his job is that he goes around and he interviews kids and asks them questions about politics and the future and just tries to, like, present. It's like This American Life, you know, but Mike Mills's version. And he has a sister played by Gabby Hoffman who needs to leave. She lives in Los Angeles, but she needs to leave town for a little bit in order to take care of her estranged husband who is dealing with bipolar disorder and she needs somebody to watch it, her son I, I don't know if they ever put by name to it actually in the film is it actually bipolar syndrome i think i think they said it in the film okay. unless I maybe misheard. i missed it no i i honestly don't know i i thought they didn't i, I thought they left that vague but i could be totally i believe wrong. that's the case uh, i could be wrong now her son is played by woody norman uh, who I think this is one of, if not his first performance uh, as a child actor in a feature film. And he is a bit of a handful. Um, it's, it's heavily implied that he's on the spectrum, um, that he has perhaps ADHD, uh, yeah. in the sense that like he has a very limited attention span and, you know, he, selective he's a kid interest. who say again, selective interest. Yep. Very selective interest. Yeah. Uh, he likes to sort of like imagine himself as like a totally different person and he has kind of ups and downs. He's kind of himself showing early signs of bipolar disorder, but mm. the film never diagnoses it, diagnoses him. Yeah. Um, that said, the, the film is really about how the two of them start to form a bond when uh, Johnny, the character played by Joaquin Phoenix, goes to take care of Jesse 
and the two kind of have their own sort of slice of life adventure together. Uh, this is a very sweet, heartwarming movie. It's very funny. Uh, it's one of those movies where the characters are really well written. It's it's mm-hmm. not very predictable. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it really isn't. It's a very A24 kind of film and the kind of film you would expect from A24 at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not, it's not a film that I loved, uh, but it is it is a film that I appreciate and I, I certainly enjoyed watching in the theater. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I mean... I, unlike Jane Campion and Paul Verhoeven, I am well-versed in the entirety of Mike Mills' filmography. I've seen all four of his films, and uh, I, I've liked them all maybe to varying, various extents. But yeah, we got Thumbsucker, which is his, it's an adaptation, but it's like a coming-of-age story. It's like, you know, kind of what you expect from like a Sundance first film or whatever. And then you got um, Beginners, which is, I, I mean, not to assume, but I, I believe it's like his film about his father. Then you got 20th Century Women, which is a movie for his mother. And then we got the uncle movie here with uh, Come On, Come On. I don't know if it's about anyone in particular in his life or if he just – it's another film where it's like him reflecting on his own parenthood. I believe he has uh, one or two kids with his wife, Miranda July, who's also a filmmaker. We've discussed uh, her previous film, Cajillionaire, on the podcast. Um, yep. But yeah, I mean for me, I guess of the three films we're talking about this week, uh, it – it's probably my least favorite, but that's not to say that's bad. If anything, I, I like it quite a bit, uh, maybe even more than you did, because it's the type of film that when it started, you know, especially with like the uh, uh, maybe self-serious black and white filmography, you know, kind of the ponderous voiceovers, the, uh, the, the sort of things you kind of expect from like an art house A24 movie such as this one. You know, I, it wasn't like I was against it, but I'm just kind of like, all right, maybe this is a little bit, you know, kind of uh, Mills playing the expected beats a little bit here or something. And and that's not to say that the the story really varies beyond that. I think it, it plays out as most people would expect. But what really took me, I guess, uh, halfway through the film was just how almost relentlessly tender this movie is in a way that um, makes it weirdly a very interesting complementary piece to The Power of the Dog in that they're both movies about the vulnerability and uh, the inherent, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the the unspoken, I guess, sense of uh, being, I don't know, I don't know where I'm going, really going with this thought, but basically what I'm trying to say is that both movies look at masculinity in this very nuanced, patient, and reflective way in in a way that I think we're, as a medium, we're starting to open up a little bit more. Obviously, other movies have looked at masculinity in similar ways, but I think now as a society, we're we're more open to this idea that masculinity can be a little bit more fluid. It can be a little bit less rigid as far as like men have certain expectations in their their lives and society and this movie it, it it has characters who are obviously a little bit more shaded gray you know not to bake upon the fact that the movie is black and white but like you know both uh woody and joaquin phoenix's character like they're you know they're not bad people by any respects but they they have their own complexities they they have their own faults in, in a way that they're not uh unaware of or at least uh, uh Joaquin Phoenix's character isn't unaware of but they're trying really hard and they're just they're putting their heart in the line in a way that feels very believable and sincere and uh I was really taken by how lovely this movie is as a result like the fact that he Mike Mills is able to talk about these fairly complicated ideas in a 
somewhat similar and familiar story, but in a way that that feels very rich and uh, nuanced and uh, reflective. And I, I think it's not a movie I'm going to be thinking about as much as Beginners or 20th Century Women, but as I have reflected on it, I've I've grown to appreciate it more, similar to Power of the Dog in that respect. I, I think the word for this movie that comes to mind for me is empathetic. Like that, that really is like the beating heart of this thing is it's about connecting with people and, and being able to understand others and feel their emotions. And sure. in regards to what you were saying about, I mean, first of all, I want to say that I, I don't think this is about an uncle that Mike Mills have. I think he considers himself the uncle. Um, I think he, right. I think he yeah, sees I, himself I as the walking mm-hmm. Phoenix character in the same way right. he sees himself as Ewan McGregor and McGinner's. Mm-hmm. And I think it, that's partly why this movie hit me necessarily because when I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking like I have nine nieces and nephews. I have a lot. I've been an uncle since I was 13 Oh wow! and you know, like <laughs> I love them more than it. Like I can describe, like I love my nieces and nephews. I don't get to see them very often. And when I do though, it's, there's nothing like being an uncle. Like there's no other experience I've had that comes close to it. I don't have any kids. I have no idea how they're going to contrast and how they're going to compare or anything like that. But I do know that it's a very special bond that we get in movies, but we don't get super often in movies to this like level of care and affection. And especially with this kind of subject matter, to, I think to what you're saying, I do agree that this is about a different kind of masculinity. And I think that um, I'm always trying to find in movies like, you know, ways for you know, my fellow guys, my boys to watch movies that are really good examples of really positive masculinity. I think one of the core things about masculinity that resonates with men is strength, having strength. I think the toxic form of that is strength through oppressing other people and putting yourself before others. But this movie shows a version of masculinity that is like you're saying, it's tender, it's emotional strength. It's being able to weather the storm of a kid because kids are unpredictable. They're tiring. They're impossible uh, at it feels. And it's not, I mean, this movie recognizes that it's not something that only men deal with. Obviously there's of course femininity and they have their own version of strength in that way. This movie is positing that men can fill that role and do it well but it it's hard and it's not something that kind of fits the traditional lens of how men are seen as caretakers and i've always found that very unfortunate and so i I really appreciate this movie on that level because it just creates so much empathy for men of a certain age men who don't do the traditional things i mean i think this movie is very purposeful like he's not divorced he was never married you know what i mean like it's not that he has a kid that he doesn't talk to he's just never had a kid he just chose not to do those things even though those are things we expect from a man his age and so stuff like that i thought was really interesting really very a24 i'll say again Uh, but i do agree with you that i don't think that this movie for me at least hit me as hard anywhere as hard as beginners or 20th century women i'm not sure why Uh, i think it's because maybe this film doesn't really go very hard it doesn't really you know punch like in in a lot of meaningful ways and i think it's kind of on purpose i think it's trying to be a little bit more of a hangout movie which i appreciate too i think so i I also think that I think because his previous three films have this sort of nostalgic quality to them, I think he is a little bit more um, certain of what he's trying to say with those characters and all that. And like you said, like, I think he, his avatar is like the male leads in those films. So like, you know, Lou Taylor, Pucci, or how you pronounce his name and Thumbsucker. I think that's the character he probably most identifies with. Owen McGregor and uh, Beginners. And I can't think of the kid in um, 20th Century Women. I apologize to that actor. 
But um, yeah, with this film, like I, I agree with you that it's his chance to look on the other side of the pond, like in that, like the previous films were his look at like him, like looking up to like his sort of mentor figures or like the people in his lives that shaped him as a man. But now it's him looking at like how he's going to shape uh, a man in his, you know, for the next generation. And I think obviously, as I've suggested, or we suggested all these films are very personal to um, Mike Mills. I don't know him personally, so I, I can't say with confidence, but I'm assuming as much based on what I know about the guy and what I know about his work. And so I, I do think this movie is a piece with his filmography, and I do think that it is a nice addition to it. I agree with you that maybe it won't hit me. It didn't hit me as hard as the previous two films because it is trying to be a little bit more casual. It is being a little bit more, um, uh, I guess, uh, um, yearning or like these characters are trying to like kind of figure the characters themselves are still figuring things out because maybe Mike Mills himself is still trying to figure things out this phase of his life. So maybe it, it is a little bit uh, deliberately incomplete in that respect. Uh, so maybe it doesn't hit quite as hard emotionally, but yeah, I just, I, I, I really like how the movie parallels the, the perspective of the two uh, characters as far as like the fact that like our adult characters are you know they're not like childlike but they have this kind of emotional insecurities themselves where it's just like you're kind of expected at a certain age to you know just have that adult mentality and like everything kind of makes sense and you yeah you look back on the way like your parents were at that age and you just kind of like oh at some point it's just gonna click and you know as trey as it might be to say eventually as you get older you kind of realize that like that just doesn't really ever happen you just kind of get older and things just settle into a certain groove whether you like it or not and i like this movie like you're saying like uh woody norman's character he speaks like uh more i guess like an adult he doesn't speak like a normal kid i didn't really find that annoying at first some people suggest as much but i thought that was actually an interesting idea like the fact that woody is uh more uh um eloquent or articulate than other kids but yeah he's like you know also emotionally you know still not really sure of himself and obviously he's a kid so he's figuring things out as he gets older but yeah like at the same time that mirrors how uh you know we have like these long stretches of film where Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix's character quotes various texts like the way that like what he's feeling he's referring to these all these texts like this is how i'm supposed to be feeling in the moment this is how i'm supposed to be feeling about the situation but at the same time like there's no uh real certainty in that like it's like this is how i think i'm supposed to be feeling about these things this is how i'm supposed to be expected to feel about these things but at the same time his character is obviously still adrift and he's still figuring things out but he's at a phase in his life where he's like well i kind of just need to buck down and have some certainty and do these things and so i don't know it might rambling does this make any sense you're, you're <laughs> rambling quite a bit i love it all right i, don't know. Is that, I almost that went blah 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 right. that's one of my favorite scenes yeah exactly uh but does, does that make any sense at all or am i just going mad i it makes sense to me i mean this movie it, it's so weird because there's so much under the surface like when you first watch it it's like hey you know that that's simple and sweet but then when you really like dive into it like especially with this kid i think that he's like well, first of all, I think this is probably one of my favorite child performances of the year. Uh, just so much better, I oh, think, yeah. than Jude Hill Tremendous. and Belfast. I mean, Jude Hill did a great job. I don't want to, you know, yeah. say anything negative about it's the kid, fine. but 
compared comparatively i think this is a much much stronger performance it's to me i don't know it just it has something more meaty to say something Mm -hmm. more surprising to say and what this kid has to do i mean he is doing a lot in this movie and he's acting against joaquin phoenix kind of being a middle-aged sad sack but Mm -hmm. also one who is a podcaster (laughs) which i gotta say like have we ever gotten a movie before this that had like podcasting as a profession, but like yeah. it was not bad? Um, not bad. I don't. I don't know. I mean, like the only I, one there, I'm thinking of in general is Tusk. But like, yeah, I was thinking Tusk. That was what I was going to say as well. It's happened uh, before, but I don't think we've ever gotten it in a way that's like kind of, I don't know, that takes it kind of seriously, but doesn't. It's not a gimmick. It doesn't feel like a gimmick. It just sort of feels like, yeah, that's this guy's job. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with podcasting, as many people would expect, is that it's just not very cinematic. It's similar to writing. It's just not really. It, I don't know if podcasting is technically a profession, but it's not something it that. It, for some people, it it's is. a huge I, profession. I mean, it's it's a sure. it's booming industry. It is. That's true. I just I don't want to assume like because like we it's not like our jobs to podcast, but we do it. Um, it's but, our job in a different sense. Sure, it's our it's, duty. <laughs> it's our duty. Yes, that's that's, that's actually the word I was going to use. Um, but it's not cinematic because we're not in a radio station. You can't right, have yeah. a scene where we're just kind of going around. And it's like Ashton, and I need those files mm-hmm. stacked. We're right. going to go on air in like ten minutes. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I mean that's. I, I don't think this is like like people would watch this and be like, that's not really like what podcasting is. And it's like, yeah, it's like it's Mike Mills idea of like podcasting in this sense, you know, and yeah. But I do imagine that it's kind of similar, though, to like how an NPR podcast would be like, like I Maybe. said like before, like this American life. Like I, I could actually see that as like this kind of. Yeah. Maybe I I don't know enough about how NPR works uh, behind the scenes to, to know for sure, but it wouldn't surprise me. I don't know. I, th- I thought it was authentic enough. Like if it had been like, you know, him doing like kind of like a in a basement with like three dudes with beards and they were all mm-hmm. like talking about like, I don't know, a tabletop game, then <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, I don't think Mike Mills, you know what you're talking about. But sure. I don't think that's what this movie is. We'll have to wait um, until the, uh, the come town movie, I guess, to get that <laughs> or the Joe Rogan movie or something. I don't yeah, know. yeah. Um, I don't have too much else to say. Uh, I, I mean, it, I, I do have an idea for a double feature. This is my double feature idea. Okay. Inside sure. Out. Yeah, that makes sense. Right? Yeah. Because Inside okay. Out is all about like forming a core memory, you know, as a kid and being in touch with your emotions, even the the difficult ones. So I would totally like pair these movies together. I think that'd be super fun. Um, what do you think about, about Joaquin Phoenix in general in this movie? I know you already kind of commented, but I, first of all, I think everybody in this is really good. I, I thought Gabby Hoffman tremendously yeah. good in this. And mm-hmm. I was, I was super happy to see her. Scott McNary doesn't have a lot of lines or anything, but he, he has a really great, like expressive performance when we do see him. But Joaquin uh, Phoenix, I mean, I don't think he's going to get much awards attention, but do you think he should? Um... I don't know if I'd give him like an Oscar for it. Uh, and to be clear, it's Scoot McNary, not Scott McNary. Um, but, I think I, uh, I think I just said it kind of quick. Uh, sure. No, no worries. Just, just clarifying. Um, to me, I think it's just fascinating as the film he makes after Joker. Because Joaquin Phoenix, uh, at least in my opinion, one of our finest working actors. I think a lot of people would agree with that. Um, and he doesn't really work that often. Like he's very selective in what movies he makes. And I, I find that fascinating. It, it, it has a kind of like Brando mystique too. You know what I mean? Like it sets that like, he doesn't just get out to work all the time. Like when he makes a movie, he wants to make it for whatever personal reason. And I do think it's not, um, a coincidence that he makes this movie around the time he's becoming a father himself. Uh, he just had a kid with, um, 
uh, Rooney Mara. Just saw her in Nightmare Alley. That's true. Yeah, with another man. There you go. Scandal in Hollywood. Yeah, scandal in Hollywood. Um, But yeah, I mean, for me, I, I, I think. It's a very intuitive, natural performance. It's what I expected from Joaquin Phoenix in this film. He has a moment where he does a Macho Man Randy Savage impression, and that delayed me to no end. Um, but, yeah, it's it's obviously a type of performance where I can see why coming off of the Joker, which is deliberately meant to be, like, one of the most intensive performances he's ever done. Like, he had to, like, lose a bunch of weight. He had to, like, kind of be in a mag state the whole time. I can certainly see why he chose to do a movie where he could just kind of, like, you know, be uh, a little bit closer to himself, uh, at least as far as I can tell about the man. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a very lovely, meaningful performance for him and for Mike Mills. I don't think it's the type of performance I'd give the dude like an Academy Award for, but I think it's another outstanding performance from an actor I admire quite a bit. Yeah, I totally agree. I think one thing this movie does that I don't think we usually see from Phoenix, and I'm really happy to see it here because it it really just shows off his range, is he's a really good actor when it comes to how he listens. Mm -hmm. A lot of this movie is him listening to a kid. And that's a lot harder to do as an actor than a lot of people probably assume. It's something that people don't usually think of. Mm -hmm. But as an actor, like, it's really hard to convincingly show yourself listening to another person without it looking like you're teeing yourself up for your next line. It's right. it's one of the more complicated or, things to do in a film, especially with a child actor. Yeah. Or that you're like talking down to them or like, you know, being like stern, wagging yes. the finger and all that. Neither you're actually listening right. to them. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I think this movie, that is a very nice like feather in its cap. And, you know, it's something that, you know, if I was compiling a list of like movies that are just especially good, uh, good movies about listening to other people and being empathetic, this one would absolutely make the list. So it, it's not something that's like the best at anything, but it is a film that is just like really, really good at everything. And I don't think it has any like major flaws. Like there is no point where I was bored in this movie. There was no point where I was like, I just want it to end. I don't think it overstays. It's welcome. I think it's structured pretty nicely. It just, you know, it doesn't pack a huge wallop it doesn't have like something extra special that like really pushes it to another level for me but i i hold it in high esteem but i think it's a type of film that i can certainly see why certain people are like that's one of the best films of the year really hit me hard like i was bawling and all that like it's a type of film that i think if you're on its register it's very easy to be overtaken by this film's subtle graces but for me yeah i mean yeah uh i would probably put maybe like my top 50 for the year. I don't think it'll be in my top 20 or 30 or anything, but it's a type of film that when I think back on, I, I, there's like, it's a type of film that, you know, maybe a few years from now, I'll think back on how like a wry smile and be like, Oh yeah, come on, come on. What a nice, simple, sweet. Pop it in dear. (laughs) Yeah. It's what a nice little movie that was, you know, I'm glad I saw that, you know, it's, it's a good film, but I don't think it's like an amazing tour de force or anything, but it's not really trying to be either. So sure. You know, right. Yeah. I kind of wondered, too, while I was watching. I was like, I wonder if I would like this even better if it was just in color. There was never a point where um, I was like, good thing that was in black and white. There were a couple of scenes where I think it does serve the, the his feeling of like when he would lose the kid. Right. Like, I think it is more terrifying in black and white yeah. um, because you can't you can't tell where the kid is. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, though, I, I wasn't sure if it felt all that necessary. But do you disagree? I don't disagree. I don't think it would have been better in color i guess that makes sense like i don't i don't know i'm i'm just curious like i'd like to test out the theory um 
Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be curious to know why Mike Mills felt compelled to shoot it in black and white. Especially because, like, Promising Young Women is such a vivid film. It's one of the things right. I remember the most about it. I mean, it's Santa Barbara. You kind of have to do that in color mm-hmm. for based on what kind of movie it is. But I think, I, I mean, if I had to assume, as I was suggesting earlier, I'm assuming it's because the characters are in this kind of, like, gray, phased-out perspective and they're like kind of uncertain about where they want to go and what they're trying to do i think artistically that's why he made it in black and white but it could just be he was just like yeah i wanted to do a movie in black and white who knows i mean that that could very easily just been the reason i have no idea but uh yeah i i I don't have a firm opinion whether it's better or worse than black and white i i was fine with the black and white photography though i thought it looked nice all right well let's play our game rotten tomatoes time what do you think the critical rotten tomato score is Right now, out of 139 reviews for Come On, Come On. Um, my gut says 84%. 96%. Wow, really? That's much I would not that. have guessed it that high. Yeah. I, would, I would have guessed somewhere like 90, 91 at the highest. Uh, I might have gone even lower to the 80s like you. Uh, what do you think about the audience score? Yeah, I mean, I guess it makes sense. Cause it's like, it's, this is the type of film that I can see a lot of people being like, oh, that sucked. Like, you know, like it, it's sure. a hard movie to get mad at. That's what uh, I was thinking. I was like, yeah, right. I feel like most people will like it. Some people just might find it slight. But right. uh, the audience score, we have 100 plus ratings. So not a lot, but uh, probably enough to build an opinion on. What do you think? Uh, I would say, oh, um, 88%. A little off, but I, you, you never got to the spot on that you did earlier in the show. But uh, 82%. Okay. So my gut reaction initially was 79%, but I was like, no, that's too low. Got to go with your gut when it uh, comes to Mike Mills. I, I think. guess so. I guess yeah. so. <laughs> All right. Uh, that'll do it for our show. Interesting show. We talked about three R rated films. Oh, when was the last time we did that. Was uh, this uh, R rated? I thought it was PG 13. It's R rated. No, no, I'm they, looking they, at it right now. Yeah. They, they, they dropped the F bomb a few times. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, I think Benedetta's R rated. I'd have to double check um, Common Sense Media. <laughs> I think it's actually unrated, if I'm not mistaken. I wouldn't be surprised. No, I think um, – uh, actually, no, wait, no. They rated it, I think, this past week, actually. It's it's like okay. freshly R. But on probably the, wasn't, you're saying like it probably wasn't rated when it was playing in France? Um, well, they have a different rating system. But uh, as far as the MPAA, they, sure. I don't think they rated it until either this week or this past week. So um, like on the AMC app, it was like listed as unrated. So, um, again, I think it's so bizarre that movie played in an AMC, one of my local AMC theaters. That's so baffling to me, but whatever. I'm glad. Same here. It is strange. Yeah. Yeah. Next week on the show, we are going to be, we have a lot of films we could talk about. I think for sure. We'll talk about West side story. Um, That is given that that's a given it's, uh, getting critical raves and it's, I think the only wide release this week, if I, we have some limited uh, release things hitting yeah. uh, for sure. Uh, so, I think Red Rocket's going to expand to some more theaters. Hmm, yeah. uh, Don't Look Up hits limited release this coming I weekend. I say, yeah, uh, that one's yeah. coming out near me. Being the Ricardos is coming out near me. Yeah, that Being the Ricardos hits limited as well. Um, um, yeah. It's going to be, I think that one's going to be streaming uh, like a couple weeks later. And then Don't Look Up will be streaming like I think on Christmas Eve. Right. We also have uh, National Champions, which I don't oh, think yeah. I'm going to check. I could check it out this week, but I, I, yeah. I know it, I know people are saying like, okay, it's J.K. Simmons, Tim Blake Nelson, mm. Lil Rel Howery. You're going to miss it, and I don't know. I'm, I'm still contemplating if I'm going to see it. 
I've heard it's not great. I get that one confused with American Underdog. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> the emails. I, right. I'm like, oh yeah, I know that. Oh no, not that. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because it's like I I saw that they're doing like early screenings for American Underdog, and it's like, wait, didn't that come out? Does that come out this week? Oh wait, no, it's the other movie. That's the uh, National Champions or whatever it's called. So yeah, yeah, I, I get confused by those two. Uh, the other movie coming hitting limited from I think Vertical is The Hating Game. Is going to be coming out soon too, which is based on like a novel. I think there's like a, a subset sure. of people who are excited about that. Uh, Maybe. I think Lucy Hale. I think uh, I think we need the loving game right now. Yeah, that's you know what, Will Ashton. I usually disagree with you on everything, but I'm going to agree with that. Um, based on what we're going to talk about, I hope I hope we can. In addition to West Side Story, we talk about Red Rocket and Don't Look Up and Being the Ricardos. Th- those for me, like if we could do at least a couple, if not three or four of those, that'd be yeah. great to me. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I don't think Red Rock is going to be playing near me this weekend. I could be wrong. Correct. Maybe they'll announce it. At, I mean, it's not like I'm happy about that. I'd prefer <laughs> yeah. if it was playing Yeah, you're near not me. like relieved. Like, phew, dodge um, that bullet, that Red know, Rocket. Right. I know uh, the Harris Theater where I work is going to be picking up Souvenir Part 2. Uh, I know. I thought little... you said Harris Teeter for a second, like a grocery no, store. Harris. <laughs> I think you said it right. I heard it wrong. <laughs> I was just Maybe. like, "That's a cool grocery store." But uh, we're going to be playing Souvenir Part Two, so I can finally catch up on that film nice. that's uh, of interest to review. Um, I know we've both seen Nightmare Alley and Swan Song, or the other Swan Song with Maharsha Ali. Yeah, which those are coming a little later this month. I know uh, Nightmare Alley hits wide release the week after. Right. Um, the, I don't know if it has a limited release before. And then Swan Song, yeah, that's going to be a yeah. little bit. That's going to be around the same time. The embargoes, I believe, are broken for both. So we could review True. both those if we want to clear up the slate for the uh, second half of December. But that's uh, that's up to you, John. That's it's up a, to the listeners. We got we to gotta decide. And I think the second half is going to be packed. We got Matrix coming out later. We have Spider-Man No Way Home. We've mm-hmm. got Sing 2, Kingsman. Yep. We, got, we got a lot to get to. Parallel we Mothers do. is the one that I'm like, I don't feel like the year is going to be complete until I see that. I'm very excited for that film. I have no idea when that's coming out to theater near me. Likewise, <laughs> same, same. I keep in vain trying to figure out when I can see Licorice Pizza and Tragedy Macbeth. This past uh, yesterday when I was at the theater, I was, it was just like, hey, like I saw the poster. Is Tragedy Macbeth playing? You're like, oh, I don't know. And then when I was uh, seeing Swan Song, I saw the poster there. It's like, hey, do you know when Tragedy Macbeth's playing? They don't. They look at me like I'm speaking a foreign language. I just want to know yeah. when the new Joe Cohen movie's coming. They're out. like, uh, we've got Encanto. Like, you want right. to watch that? Yeah, you want to. <laughs> you want to see Encanto? You want to see um, Ghostbusters? Ghostbusters Afterlife? Uh, fun. I just want to see. I want to see Licorice Pizza, and I want to see Tragedy Macbeth. Why? Venom, right, let there be Car- carnage dvd yeah, yeah like i'm bootleg. a simple i'm a simple man john i just i just want to see these movies why is it so hard i i saw tragedy Macbeth yesterday I'm and i am so excited because our conversation for that is going to be intense it's going to be a real uh Macbeth and lady Macbeth level uh conversation there i guess but i guess so uh, i guess so uh, i'm very excited to be i'm sure i'm going to disagree with whatever you felt about the film but we'll discuss that at a later date hopefully can't wait can't wait that'll do it though for us this week uh thank you as always for listening connect with us on social media if you dare and we'll be back to discuss those films uh and more or less who knows uh next time on the show from the internet california i'm john negroni and from the internet pennsylvania i'm Wes. see you next time <laughs>